Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. This is Peter Ravella, co-host of the show. And this is Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. Tyler, the great state of California, your home state. My home state. Some very, very important developments in coastal, uh, in the coastal history, I would say, of California is, under, is underway. And, it, and uh, we're going to be talking about the proposed designation of the Chumash Heritage National Marine Sanctuary, which was just recently announced uh, by NOAA that they intend to advance the public process to designate the Chumash Heritage National Marine Sanctuary. This is a federal designation of great significance uh, Absolutely. to the country and to the state of California and to the Chumash people. Absolutely, Peter. And uh, we have had the pleasure, uh, you and I, together, of going to the Channel Islands National Park. Yes. uh, Which is surrounded by the Channel Islands National Marine Sanctuary. And we beheld the beauty of that uh, protected space, the megapod of dolphins. Yeah. And uh, one of the other things we got to do on Santa Cruz Island is went into the visitor's center there, and there was a video playing with Julie Tumamite, who I'm proud to say uh, lives in Ojai. And I've I've had the pleasure of knowing her uh, in my growing, my hometown, yeah. I I knew her growing up, but I saw her there giving a talk about the Chumash heritage of those islands, which um, I learned was very, uh, very rich and extremely important. I also grew up uh, reading Island of the Blue Dolphin, uh, okay. which uh, involves, it's a story of a, of a young Chumash girl who ends up stuck oh. out on uh, oh. San Nicolas Island, way the hell out there. Right. And it's like a survival story. It's very cool. Female lead, ahead of its time. Anyway, uh, my point is that uh, I, all these years, have uh, known that this is a really special place, but to see it come through the news that the proposed Chumash. Yeah. National Marine Sanctuary, man, that caught my eye. And I was interested to learn more about it. So we reached out immediately to what I think will be an awesome guest. We do have an incredible guest joining us today on the American Shoreline podcast is Violet Sage Walker. She is the chairperson of the Northern Chumash Tribal Council, and she is also the nominator, the official nominator of the Chumash Heritage National Marine Sanctuary. I would like to throw a couple of factoids on the table about the sanctuary that's proposed, and then we're going to dive into a discussion about your history and your family's history with this incredible event that uh, is underway. This is the first tribally nominated National Marine Sanctuary in the history of the United States. Uh, The designation would preserve the marine and cultural resources along 140 miles of the Central California coast, Tyler, this sanctuary is directly to the north of the Channel Islands National Marine Sanctuary where we were. That's right, and it connects another National Marine Sanctuary to the north. That's right. The Monterey Bay National Marine Sanctuary would be on the northern boundary of this new one. Um, And this is an important designation to safeguard the coast from oil and gas development is what happens if this is created, and to protect sacred Chumash sites all along this part of the California coast. So... An incredible uh, 
development in the National Marine Sanctuary system, and I'm so looking forward to learning more about this from the expert, Violet Sagewalker. <laughs> Me too. I really, really am. So much to cover here, Peter. It's going to be a great show, but before we get into it, let's have a quick word from our sponsors. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today are brought to you by Geodynamics, an ND5 company specializing in providing accurate surveys of complex coastal environments worldwide. Driven by marine geology, coastal science, and remote sensing, our researchers use the latest technology to provide meticulous data products to support our clients and answer their toughest questions. Geodynamics carefully designs and executes a variety of hydrographic, geophysical, sub-bottom, and near-shore surveys using our fleet of customized vessels and sensor configuration. You can find us at nv5geospatial.com. Geodynamics, delivering solutions, improving lives. Be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter for our latest updates from around the American shoreline. Like what you're hearing and want to support the network? Sponsorship packages are now available. Go to coastalnewstoday.com slash advertising to learn more. Well, Violet, uh, welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. How are you doing? Pretty good, thanks. We usually like to start learning a little bit about you. And uh, in reading your background, uh, I know that you are a kind of significant beach baby. Uh, you're, you're, right? You, you were born, <laughs> that's on, the, were you that's born the on the beach? the first time someone called me that. <laughs> this is a coastal show. but <laughs> Not necessarily on the beach, but, you know... Uh, my my dad, who we're going to talk about later, always likes to tell people he delivered me at home um, in Avila Beach. So um, I was, you know, maybe one of the last people of our people born um, um, in Avila Beach. Um, and um, yeah, you know, I'm a, I was raised in Avila. So there's a, a few of us um, around that can say they were raised in Avila and uh, Shell Beach. I went to school at Shell Beach Elementary School. So um, um, yeah, I grew up and it was a beach baby. Absolutely. And and is Avila Beach a, where is that? And is what, why, why were you the last one? Um, so Avila Beach is, basically right in the center of um, where we're talking about with the proposed um, Shumash Sanctuary. Um, it's a sacred site. Um, and um, in uh, pre prehistorical times, you could imagine um, that there would have been a village site there where everyone likes to go in the park and walk down to the beach. And, um, you know, there's estimates that maybe, you know, 10,000 people lived there. Wow. So um, the village um, Supatu would have been what we kind of, uh, you know, think of as like downtown Avila, um, like on the coast of uh, what we call like the Diablo Canyon or the Pecho Coast. Um, Supatu is just north of um, P uh, Pismo. So that, uh, for reference. Um, but um, yeah, and, you know, as far as being, you know, one of the last of our people born there, you know, on, on our territory and our homeland, um, I hope that that changes. You know, I hope that there is many generations to come, you know, that inhabit that land and raise, you know, families and stuff there. So, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a cool, cool upbringing. Well, I, I, I have to imagine, but I also want to point out, you know, uh, that 
10,000 people do not currently live there. And um, uh, in my education growing up in California, important part of the uh, curriculum was learning <clears throat> uh, what happened to the native people of California when the Spanish uh, came through and established the mission system. Um, could you give us some background there um, on the history of, of your people and uh, how, how they kind of came to be settled uh, in those areas and how that changed when the Spanish arrived? So there's, there's villages up and down the coastline, um, pretty densely populated um, pre-contact, like, you know, people say like prior to like 1492, which, you know, is kind of a... Um, immaterial to us because you know we weren't ever discovered but um you know there was villages up and down the coastline that the heaviest uh, density of um, our people lived on the ocean we are ocean going people in a maritime culture um villages in avila and pismo all the way down to malibu along the coast of california were um occupied with um, large extended family groups and when the missions and um and um, prior to, um, you know, we call it being invaded, you know, California was invaded by several different, um, you know, whether it's Spain, Mexico, or, you know, the gold rush days, or, you know, the during the Dust Bowl when people migrated into California, every time that happened, um, our people got pushed further and further away from the coast and into, um, there is a reservation in San Inez, but most of our people went inland to survive um, and being invaded. The people that didn't go to missions or to the rancherias, um, you know, um, basically blended into the countryside and became uh, vaqueros, the California vaquero tradition, um, riding and training uh, horses in the California method is um, really an interesting aspect of the Chumash culture. And um, and there's similar stories up and down the coast with all the different tribes. They uh, were pushed off the coastline and into the mountains. And so a lot of our family is related to uh, Yokuts and different, um, different groups that we intermarried with during these um, invasions of um, the territory on the coast. An extraordinary history and makes me appreciate, I think, immediately the significance of the Shumash Heritage National Marine Sanctuary proposal. This is an effort that extends back many, many years, and your father, Fred Collins, was instrumental in the original nomination of the sanctuary in 2015, uh, also had served as tribal chair, uh, the position you hold now. Can you speak about why this mattered to him and why it has mattered so much to your family to seek the designation of this National Marine Sanctuary? So you had mentioned, you know, that goes back in 2015. Well, it goes back even, uh, you know, even further. So if we think back about um, 1969, the biggest oil spill we ever had in Santa Barbara County, our Chumash elder, um, Palula Kutz, uh, Northern Chumash Bear Clan, was part of the cleanup and part of the aftermath of the biggest oil sale we have ever seen at the time. And um, through that um, uh, situation and the, those times, you know, all the environmental organizations popped up. You see like things like Earth Day and you see a lot of the big environmental groups um, developing around that time in response to um, the oil spills and um, 
Palula was very involved in um, protecting the coastline from offshore oil drilling. Her, and, and she has also um, recently passed into spirit. And one of the things that um, she did is she personally uh, tapped, you know, my dad and myself, you know, I was about 12 when she approached us and my dad was um, uh, older and he had um, come out of um, Silicon Valley. He had a background in uh, um, law. He moved up to Silicon Valley so his wife um, could go to um, law school up there at um, Hayward. And so he had a background in law and a background in sales. He was very interested in um, in broadband and telecommunications and some of the um, um, big uh, industry up in Silicon Valley at the time was blowing up and, and computers and things like that. And so when he came back to San Luis, um, Palula had um, uh, taken us both under her wings, so to speak, and, um, and showed us how to... Um, do this type of work. And one of the things that, um, you know, that Chumash people and that indigenous people all around the world have in common is that we are obligated, um, not just by choice, but because our elders have told us what we need to do. And so we're obligated, you know, to carry on these traditions and protecting the water is one of them, protecting our land and, um, she she basically had um, told us that this is what we need to do. And my dad carried that tradition on from her. Um, Fred was um, part of the, the response to the seismic testing that they wanted to do. Um, the Coastal Commission had a big hearing. Um, I want to say this is about seven to eight years ago. There was a big hearing. I, I can't think of the date off the top of my head, but... Um, this is when the coalition that we currently have um, backing the Chumash Area National Marine Sanctuary was formed, was a response to the seismic testing that they proposed off the coast here at PG&E and Diablo Canyon. The seismic testing was um, in uh, response to the earthquake fault that they found under Diablo Canyon, but seismic testing is also a form of oil and gas exploration. Mm -hmm. There are um, offshore oil leases here. Um, I want to say over 30 of them that could be potentially available if um, the marine sanctuary wasn't designated. So that's kind of how, um, you know, we, we started, you know, with the, the 2015 nomination was um, a group of people that came together, grassroots local groups, and they had asked my dad to lead the sanctuary campaign and he became the nominator back then. Can I uh, go back to that moment that you and your father are approached to carry this forward? Did you guys have a little meeting afterwards? Like, okay, uh, what does this mean? How, how, what just happened? What just happened here? <laughs> yeah, how did, how did you, I mean, you were 12. Uh, what did your father tell you in that moment? How, what happened there? It was um, pretty simple. It was basically, you know, she's going to teach us about our culture and our community and our language, our songs, you know, we needed, um, there's not a lot of people left in our community. And so to have these elders, you know, come and select you and teach you and train you, um, not just to make public comment or to go to the board of supervisors or to go to the coastal commission, but to teach you about your culture and your language and why there's a hundred, you know, hundred, 150 year gap and us being able to share our stories and songs. There was many generations that couldn't uh, speak our language. Um, 
that lost a lot of the songs and a lot of the histories. And so it was a privilege and an honor to spend most of my life, you know, being her friend and being with her. And um, sometimes you just um, have to take, you know, she, you just have to, um, you know, she wanted to go places and she wanted us to take her. And that was how we learned as we did, we learned by doing. And, you know, my dad was, um, you know, he got his feet in the fire pretty quick. Um, and she really liked his legal background and his ability to write. My dad's a prolific writer and he's um, very inspirational. He speak to, you know, spoke from the heart and um, was very um, good at connecting with people on a deeper, more meaningful level. And, um, you know, he also liked to shake things up a little. And he always told me, you know, he, he could come across really strong, but he always said that, you know, it's good for people to not be, you know, in their comfort zone all the time, to think bigger, to think outside, you know, their comfort zone and to think about, you know, you know, a hundred years in the future where we want to be and what we want to be doing. And he was a, you know, visionary. He always had these grand ideas and this was one of them. So the sanctuary was something that he wanted to do for um, future generations. And when he, and it's um, the most important thing, you know, that he said that he's ever done in his life. And when his health was declining, he, um, you know, I just naturally stepped up and took over a lot of the, the day-to-day um, business of the sanctuary a few years ago. But um, he, um, I had been doing most of the work for the sanctuary, but he had always been the spokesperson. You know, people love to hear him talk and he was very mm-hmm. inspirational, very funny, very personable, um, but he was powerful too. And he was, um, he, you know, had the ability to have people stop what they're doing and think about what they're doing and listen to them. And, you know, and that's kind of um, a balancing act between, um, you know, uh, our people have often not been at the table. And if you're not at the table, they say you're on the menu, right? So, yeah. um, you know, he, he was really good at what he did. Well, it must be a, a, a very poignant moment for, for you personally, but for the, the tribe as a whole, that uh, the nomination uh, notice of intent to move forward with the sanctuary uh, occurred on November 9th. Your father's passing was October 1st, and you mentioned uh, Paluva, who was an early inspiration for the entire effort, also having recently passed. Um, to see this dream um, that was handed down to you, um, begin to be seriously considered now and possibly come to fruition must be an uh, incredibly uh, powerful experience. Yeah, I think I can say that, I think I can say now that we actually had um, forewarning that this was going to happen. So the November 9th nomination wasn't um, a total surprise. And we had, I had actually told my dad that, um, it was probably going to go forward, but he um, he didn't get to see the actual nomination notice of intent published in the Federal Registry, which would have been, you know, a great celebration. It was kind of bittersweet that it happened. Right. Um, it was going to happen, um, or I was hoping it would happen right on my birthday, which was September 9th, and we had all gone out to dinner. And that was the last time that I had been out with my dad since then he went into the hospital and then passed away. But we were on, um, we were out to dinner um, 
and we had thought that the announcement would happen earlier. So um, he knew it was coming, which is a relief to me, but it was definitely bittersweet that it happened right after he passed. Um, and then it also happened right before his memorial. So it was a busy week. It was a very emotional and very up and down week. So um, we had in um, hundreds and hundreds of people calling about the nomination, the notice of intent being published. And at the same time, I was planning the memorial for him too. Yeah, that's, uh, that is a, a, a lot all coming together in that moment. Um, and you, you were telling us about kind of the origins of this proposed sanctuary going back to uh, fears about the seismic testing, that this could lead to oil and gas exploration. Um, but, let, you know, I got to say, I don't know how you begin to create a national marine sanctuary. Where, how did you look at other examples? Um, how did you where did you begin? How, how did you tackle that problem? We have people. <laughs> we have some That's pretty amazing people here on the coast. And I, I'll tell you, um, uh, PJ Webb is our um, uh, tribal advisor, and she's a, a public interest attorney. She's been sitting um, on the board for the Monterey Bay National Marine Sanctuary for years. She's been involved with um, the NOAA process and the marine sanctuaries for for a long time. I don't want to say forever, but she's been around a long time. She's um, won the, the Leon Panetta Sea Star Award for her work with marine sanctuaries. And um, she was um, instrumental in getting what they call this um, period where we've been able to nominate um, opened up again. So there was many people, and I don't know all the details and all the names of the people that got this open. And um, there had been no um, uh, avenue for new marine sanctuaries for a long period. So this was um, the first time that um, that NOAA, the federal government, um, opened up the nominations for new national marine sanctuaries. So when that happened, we already had a team of people, PJ and several other people, um, uh, Andrew Christie from the local Sierra Club chapter, um, state Sierra Club people, surf rider people. We had this team of people that had been thinking about this for, you know, 10, 20, 30 years and had been trying to get this through, but the nomination period wasn't open. So that was the key in the, the turning point was when uh, the nominations became open. We submitted our application and we had to resubmit it again before it was accepted. And then we resubmit again at the five-year mark. So that was the um, last year's five-year mark where we did the five-year review. And uh, there was actually uh, more support at the five-year review um, than there was in the original nomination. Good. A good indication that the uh, consensus to move forward was building during this process. And I'm really glad that you've outlined the level of detail required a national marine sanctuary, uh, of which I believe there are 20, Tyler, is it 28? Uh, we, we had for a while on the, on the American Shoreline podcast, the Fresh and Salty podcast, which was with the National uh, Research Reserve Association and uh, an affiliated or uh, designation, not the same as the National Marine Sanctuary, but um, it's a very involved process to, to, to get the Congress, the, I mean, the, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration to move forward. Um, it did not hurt, I'm sure, that your father was an attorney. 
and an, and an experienced spokesperson, but to, the level of expertise required uh, to pull this off is, is very, very high. Um, can you tell us about the process going forward from here? This is the beginning of the nomination process or the designation mm -hmm. process. Can you in, in advise, inform our listeners a little bit about what's ahead for, for you and the other proponents of the sanctuary? So they call this period the scoping period, and this is where we want all um, interested um, uh, parties, um, all the stakeholders from the tribes to the fishermen to the beachgoers and businesses. And um, this is an opportunity to develop the marine sanctuary, um, uh, written plans, how it will be set up. Um, uh, the goals of the sanctuary to outline the um, um, the support, the opposition, to be inclusive of the community members. And so right now um, we have about a month. There's three listening sessions where people can make public comment and get their comments on record. They can also submit written comments to the NOAA um, uh, on the NOAA website, there's a link. Uh, NOAA, I think it's um, National Marine Sanctuary's uh, Shumash Heritage, and there's a link to submit public comments. And um, NOAA will request um, that um, all those comments be in. I think um, the last day I want to say is January 13th. And so we have about a month. And I know it's during the holidays, but it's a really important time for people to get their support of the sanctuary on record. And um, anything from, you know, supporting the sanctuary by its name, because um, the name is um, up in the air, too. Um, they want to hear um, supporting the boundaries of the sanctuary. We're asking for the broadest possible boundary to re be reflected in the um, five-year nomination, which is approximately 140 miles of coastline and uh, millions of square miles. Um, there's um, uh, an opportunity right now for people to put in what they'd like to see in the Marine Sanctuary, how they'd like to see it run. Um, anything you can think of, this is the time. And and our listeners are no stranger uh, strangers to getting out there and supporting things like this. Uh, so do it. It's definitely worth it. Peter, answered your question, 15 currently designated. Uh, 15. I believe there are three currently in the uh, proposal stage, um, but 15, which is, is not, it's fewer than the National Estuarine Research Reserve yes, System. About half, I think. It is, but Peter uh, includes such uh, national icons as, I already mentioned the Channel Islands off in California, but also the Flower Garden Banks, where you oh, yeah. dived as a young man. Very yeah. inspirational dive yeah. for you. The Florida Keys, where I was out snorkeling, uh, had beautiful NOAA National Marine Sanctuary anchorages so that people aren't dropping their anchors on coral reefs. I mean, these are these are the kind of uh, services. This is a national park for the for the water. Is yeah, basically that's, the that's way I would way think to, about it. That's a great way to think about it. And if uh, and for those of you following along in uh, that you're not driving and maybe you have access to a computer, uh, org is an outstanding website that really will fill you in on the background and the process that has gone into the creation of this proposed uh, National Marine Sanctuary. 
Um, the and the NOAA website is outstanding on the nomination. Uh, uh, the NOAA Administrator, Dr. Rick Spinrad, is a strong proponent of this designation. That's important, as is, I would think, one of our hosts on ASPN, uh, Admiral Tim Gallaudet, former uh, Assistant Secretary of Commerce for Oceans and Atmospheres. Uh, you've got some horsepower behind this nomination, including some very, very serious and high-ranking members in Congress. Definitely. And and we actually went to Washington and uh, we met with a lot of um, very um, uh, influential movers and shakers. And so we, um, you know, one of the highlights of my trip, I got to meet with um, Deb Holland, who um, is just, you know, it's amazing to have the first tribally um, led, um, you know, secretary of the interior. That's just unbelievable and um she is such a she's such a lovely like human being i really was able to have a a deep meaningful conversation with her in her office and she shared some stories that were similar to our stories and she had been here before and she knew our struggles and you know i really feel like she was a, a, a you know a really authentic person and i um and I appreciate, you know, having the opportunity to meet her one on one before she was who she is, you know, now in the Biden administration. And, um, you know, we got to meet with Admiral Gallaudet and um, and and uh, several of the staffers at NOAA. And um, we got to go to the Chow Conference, which is the Capitol Hills Ocean Week, which was really um interesting i there was things there that i had never heard before about um just um um, a wide range of issues with the fishing industries in different countries and the pollution and the extinction of species and the traffic on the oceans and all the pollution going into the oceans and i was really um enlightened and inspired by going to chow so that was that was a really great trip you had a, you mentioned in the pre-show, and I'm got I'm curious to ask. I, I know you've met Tim uh, Admiral Gallaudet when you were uh, in D.C. to support the nomination of the sanctuary. Uh, I understand there's a little story behind that. Yes, we had a meeting with him and several other people, and um, you know we had gone all the way to Washington, and so when we were in this meeting. Um, I swear you could hear a pin drop because he asked if there was anything else we wanted. And I said, you know, it would be nice if you would put your outfit on for our pictures. <laughs> and, you know, the, his his full outfit, because he was just dressed in regular office clothes. And I'm like, but we came all this way. We wanted a picture with you. And I swear you could hear a pin drop in that room. All the guys sitting there, I don't even think they were breathing. And he looked at me and he's like, it's, he's all just give me like five minutes. And he went into his office and he changed so that we could get a picture of him with his, you know, I don't want to say outfit, but I guess it's a uniform. His uniform. His uniform. Admiral uniform. Yeah. His uniform is pretty fabulous, you know? And, and so I just, I thought that was funny. I I think I'm the only one in that room that could have asked him to do that. (laughs) That's I love amazing it. that he said yes to. I Put your outfit I'm on. I'm actually not surprised. He would say yes to that. He's, you he know, abs- he's very, very cool person. And I know, I think he has uh, three little girls and mm-hmm. we gave him some shells, you know, some abalone shells from uh, the Morro Bay um, or the Caicos abalone farm here. Wow. And we um, told him the story about the abalone 
and how um, you know it's part of our you know culture, our food, but it's also part of our spiritual practices for our jewelry and our regalia, and yeah. you know it's part of our ceremonies and it's part of you know our uh, wealth that we had here and trading and different things and the you know the abalone farm is um closed down because the um the ocean acidification and and people you know ocean acidification is a kind of a big word people are like i don't really even know what that is but i know i'm against it you know but yeah yeah. it's a real um but ocean acidification basically if you think about the calcium shells Mm -hmm. uh the ocean water is is simple simplified it's dissolving their calcium shells so they're not able to reproduce anymore so uh, they're not able to grow the the um, the little baby tiny abalone, yeah, and the if you ever, stage. yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, that's a kind of a real like meaningful connection to you know these abalone shells. You know, if you go to Morro Bay, you could see some places where there's like a hundred feet deep of abalone shells from the fishing industry back, you know, in the forties and fifties and sixties. And there's hundreds and hundreds of feet of huge giant abalone. And now today we can't harvest abalone here. So, um, because they're, they were going extinct. There just isn't enough and they're dying. And so, um, the ocean water is not able to sustain a healthy population of them. And so, yeah, I, you know, I, I did get a picture with him in his, in his uniform, but I also, you know, gave him a shell and told him our story and told him how, you know, this is a really, um, this is a deeply um, spiritual, it's a deeply personal, um, you know, journey for us to be on, to be able to go to, to uh, Washington, to be able to advocate for the, the coast here, to be able to advocate and bring our culture to the, um, the forefront you know a lot of people um, know a little bit i think you had mentioned you know the island of the blue dolphins i think it might be the only thing people know about shimash people um definitely but... a definitely a popular you know kind of children's level uh book that circulated a lot at least with my generation yeah and so something like that you know to be able to take our culture to the spotlight around the world and join other indigenous people around the world and being able to speak our language again and talk about our people and share our songs and our history and our stories and um it's an opportunity it's a once in a lifetime opportunity and it is. you know that's, that's and it's a it's a brave it's to be honest with you i mean uh, i think it's a brave thing to do i realize that there are now generations of native people who have gone to Washington and signed papers and lobbied for things. And it hasn't always been uh, fair dealing. Uh, in fact, I would say it's been pretty unfair dealing uh, on the whole. And I have to say, I'm, I'm proud uh, as an American that you were there and that you have been successful in, in advancing this to this space. And, you know, I, Peter, I speak for myself, but I, I really hope that we can do this and honor uh, the Chumash people and their heritage by doing right by this tribally led initiative. And that Incredible. is so important to me that it's tribal led. This is such a buzz right now. Um, but th- this is a real example of a tribal led thing. And, you know, I, I kind of want, um, I don't want to diverge too far, but I kind of just want to ask you, like, when you think about 
the problems that say say the state of California is having with sea level rise and managed retreat and how, um, you know, I, I, do you think that we would benefit from having more Chumash like principles at the table? I mean, I, I feel like we would, but um, what do you think? Well, th- well, there's there's a lot of new um, ways of looking at public policy and um, and whether it's local or state or federal that include um, indigenous land management and indigenous practices. And I think that's where, what we should really be talking about is how to, how to go back and say, how do we bring back the water? And when indigenous people say, bring back the beavers, you're like, what? These people are crazy, right? (laughs) But that's what we need to do is how do we bring back the water? We need to listen to people that know about the water and the trees and the land and how things work in complete harmony and ecosystems, how, how to make them thrive. And um, a thriving ecosystem is one that has Southern sea otters in it. And, you know, when we, those were almost completely hunted to extinction and people are like, why is our kelp beds dying? Mm-hmm. And it's because there's no Southern sea otters eating the sea urchins. Right. And do, do we need an indigenous person to tell us that? Well, I guess, you know, maybe we do. I think we do. Mm-hmm. You know, and, but it's, um, it's about bringing in that, um, you know, that um, history, that storytelling, that, you know, reconnecting to the circle of life and the circle of, um, of um, you know, human connection. Because when we talk about, conservation a lot of times we alienate groups of marginalized people by saying that we're going to conserve the land without the people and so i like to think about conservation in a new way and think about uh, conservation with people because human activity does not need to be mutually exclusive from protected areas i think you Mm -hmm. both know that because you've been in sanctuaries, you've been in protected areas, and you can go fishing there, you can, you know, go kayaking, you can go scuba diving, there is, it's you the know, best. taking. It's, I think it's, I think it's the, where I'd rather be if I have to choose my time between being in a non-protected area and being in a protected area, I'm going to choose a protected area. It's, it's yeah. better. And it's an, and we need a new way of looking at protection because we definitely want to include the people element. And that's what's important is that the native tribes have often been excluded from conservation efforts. Um, and um, a lot of the big like um, NGO environmental organizations are realizing that they're, um, you know, excluding people of color and people of marginalized groups and people of different socioeconomic groups. Yeah. And I think that that's changing. So this we wouldn't be having this conversation yeah. 10 years ago, maybe. And um, or we would have just been, you know, groundbreaking if I would have told you that. But yeah, we need yeah. to have conservation should include people. Yeah. And um, um, and my dad was always um, I thought he invented the word word like thriveability. But this whole idea of we should, you know, stop saying sustainable because sustainable is right. out, you know, it's sustainable word. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's, we're sustaining a 95% loss of, you mm-hmm. know, our, our major fish um, groups like tuna and things like that. That's not okay. Right. What we need to do is thrive and we need to have 100% or 120% and figure out ways to bring all these massive um, um, 
uh, animal and plant and fish species back to where they were, you know, and, and so that we can have great fishing and so we can have excellent commercial fishing and so we can feed people and at the same time be a healthy and more thrivable, you know, communities. It has been done. Uh and and I, I you got to say, Tyler, you're asking what you know. That focusing on the fact that this is a tribal nomination, this is why that matters. This conversation right here and that perspective that you're offering, Violet, is a new way of thinking about protected areas that includes the indigenous peoples that have utilized and managed and and been in balance with these systems for thousands and thousands of years. It's a big topic right now. Uh, there are uh, tribal communities up in Alaska that are now trying to resurrect their history of whaling. It's going to run into some of that uh, kind of centered, uh, you know, white uh, yeah, focus. Coming out of the academy, it, got a PhD. Right, I'm going to tell you gonna, what's best for the planet. Yeah, and, uh, you know, that doesn't work. And the other thing I'll just mention is you know, I was in on the big island of Hawaii uh, yesterday. In fact, came back last night. And uh, we went to a, a, a local store uh, run by a local Hawaiian uh, indigenous community. They had the, the native language books. They had a great library about the history of the island. And I had a great conversation. And she said to me, you, you have to understand that before Western contact, there were more people on the big island. A million people were sustained on this island in complete balance and harmony with the environment. There was incredible management of the fishery. There was an agricultural system that worked incredibly well. And right now there's only 20% of that population and the island's getting beat up because we do it the wrong way. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's something to this notion uh, that I think is what makes this nomination so special is that element being led by the Shumash people has got to be and an, an maybe a new way to think about these sanctuary areas. And, you know, the Hawaiian people are our relatives, you know, we consider them, you know, our, our brothers and sisters and the way that they um, talk about what they're, you know, managing um, more people in a more sustainable um, fashion that they also, you know, traveled. And so we have connections with the Polynesians and the Hawaiians, and we share stories and similar overlap in our languages and in our histories. And so when we talk about pre-contact, you know, California, there were, there were like millions of native people living here pre-contact. Wow. And now there's tens of thousands, maybe. Yeah. And so, um, you know, that's the same story over and over, but, um, wherever you go, but, you know, Papahana Mananuakea is the, you know, Hawaiian, um, national monument, and they're going to be, um, hopefully, um, changing that into a national marine sanctuary yes. in the near future too. So, um, there's a lot of really good things happening and I love the, you know, the Hawaiian culture and, they're very close to us. You know, they're very similar in a lot of different ways. So, and that, um, that kind of, um, I, I, I kind of just want to drill down on that a, a little bit further. Um, because that's interesting. And I did not know that. Uh, but one of the things, you know, I think about Hawaii and I think about, of course, Island people. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, Peter, back to that video on, um, Santa Cruz Island, we learned of this, uh, origin story that involved, uh, early Chumash ancestors walking over a rainbow bridge from the Channel Islands 
over to the mainland and that and that that is that in a way kind of in a symbolic way does describe coming from the sea coming by way of boat to the land um, which runs contrary to i think what a lot of you know um western you know like me some kid growing up in public school white kid i kind of thought that people were walking or uh i don't know i it seems like every year we learn that native people were here earlier and earlier and earlier than we previously thought but very interesting Mm -hmm. that connection do you have any any insight on kind of the island origins of uh the chumash people well, I have a lot, but we don't have that much time left in the show. <laughs> so you're going to have to we'll call have to me again. again. Yeah, we'll do it and again. And we're, we're going to talk about something else. But um, but as far as, you know, most people kind of have this rainbow bridge story, whether they talk about their pets or their family kind of passing over. Um, you know, we talk about um, the rainbow bridge and the tale that you were, you know, is a learning tale about, you know, that the people were crossing from the island to the mainland and the people that, um, you know, Hutash says, don't look down into the ocean. And um, the people who looked down fell off the bridge and they became dolphins, the alakoi, the dolphin. Mm. And, um, you know, we kind of use that too as a, a message that we're all related to the animals and to the fish and to the birds. And, um, you know, it's a good story to like teach kids how all things are connected, but it's also where we get, um, we had talked a little bit about um, the um, Point Conception, the Western Gate there. And when, you know, my father passed, I, I talk, I had written um, in his um, memoir, in his um of the story about, you know, did my dad, like all these stories, like, did he rise, you know, on the fourth day after he passed? And because yeah. for four days, you're supposed to visit all the places and people that you loved. And then on the fourth day, you're going to take the journey, you know, across um, uh, Point Conception, and then you bathe like in the freshwater pools there, and you, your yeah. eyes are plucked out by crows and replaced with poppies, and you cross, you know, through, you know, we have this whole story about our history and our people, how we cross over to the next world and your your power and energy, your Atishwin is like your energy and, and did that buy him safe passage and, you know, and so we have these stories about this place and this is the place that National you know, Marine Sanctuary would protect is Point Conception. And that's where we believe the Western Gate is where all people's souls Ooh. leave this planet like leave into the next world and journey on and whether you're reborn or whether you stay you know there's this whole story behind just this one thing and you know our ancestors occupied point conception to prevent the gas um plant being um put into our sacred place there and um our ancestors palula and uh, michael her son and you know, all these people spent uh, months occupying that to prevent that from being destroyed back in the 70s. And they sweat there. And that was how, you know, we connect, we recenter, we connect and we sweat. And, you know, we, um, we've protected this place for a long time. So that's what I'm, you know, Ooh. keeping doing is, um, um, you know, keeping our stories alive and sharing our stories with people and letting people know why these places are important. And, and using my dad as an example, you know, like we need to make sure that he had safe passage and we are protecting, 
you know, everybody wow. by protecting this land here and this, um, this marine sanctuary. Thank you for, thank you for sharing that. Um, and it helps, I think, our listeners around the country better understand the motivation and the drive for the work that you are doing and your father and the, and the tribal council has been doing for decades now. Uh, to protect this area, uh, we couldn't be more uh, privileged to to hear from you and and to firsthand on why this uh, designation of the Shumash Heritage National Marine Sanctuary is such an important thing to go forward. So we, we want to thank you very much, Violet, for sharing uh, your insights with our with our listeners. Yeah, you know, I I I appreciate it, and I like you know having this conversation with you because the one thing that the tribal, we, we had talked about the tribal-led section, but, you know, the tribal-led aspect of this, we can talk about spirit and we can talk about the spirituality of a place. And everybody connects to that because you totally. feel good when you're at Yosemite or you feel good when you're diving in, you know, these coral reefs and you you feel connected to the spiritual aspect of sacred places. And and so um, that's what the tribe brought to this nomination. I think that's why it gained so much support. And I think that's why we're at where we are today is because that was one thing my dad always did is he made, made sure that he talked about the spiritual side of why we protect, you know, what we love. And so not everybody can do that. And I think that that's why this um, nomination has gained so much momentum and so much um you know, respect from people in Washington because they really see that. And um, that's what tribal participation can bring to the table. Oh, man, I am I am just so in agreement with that. And uh, as we kind of wrap up here, Violet, I'd, I'd like to um, turn back to the actually the name. Um, so uh, right now uh, I noticed that it's the you have it as the proposed Chumash Heritage National Marine okay. Sanctuary. Um, could you take us through uh, uh, the thinking specifically behind um, that name? And if, is, is that the name that you support? Um, mm -hmm. And kind of take us through that. So um, the name is very near and dear to our heart because we have, um, you know, we love where we live. And this is Shumash, you know, territory. This is, you know, our sacred places. We have, um, you know, thought long and hard about, the heritage of this area and what the Shumash heritage is everybody's heritage. And so now everybody, and I'm telling everybody who lives here and everybody around here that this is your heritage, that you're living on Shumash land. It's your, you know, it's your place. And, and the Shumash people are really involved in all aspects of the community. It's just that they're not, um, you know, maybe as visible before. And so this brings, um, you know, a legacy. It brings, you know, my father's legacy. He um, he spent his whole life trying to protect this land, and um, you know, some of the places that that you go to, the Creso Plains, um, you see the Creso Plains National Monument. Um, a lot of people go out there for the the flowers and stuff and the the pictures, but that's also our sacred uh, site out there. One of our solstice sites where we go into the uh, cave, the painted cave, and have ceremony. And so all these places are are places that um, 
everywhere you walk, you're on Chumash land, you're in the Chumash heritage, you're, it's a meaningful name. And it would, uh, you know, be an honor to my dad's legacy and his life work to keep the name. So we're, we are asking people that support the sanctuary to also support the name. Um, but yeah, that is um, very um, special to us, to say the least. Wow. Well, we wish you the best with this nomination process. Uh, we will include in the show notes uh, the link to the uh, NOAA nomination site and uh, the comment section. And I tell you, if you would, if you had it available to send us the photo of you with uh, Admiral Tim Gallia dad in his uniform, I do. I do have it. it. I will send it. We to will you. put it in the show notes as well. I would love to. I would love. I to also. Um, I also will have up on the the shumashsanctuary.org website by the end of the weekend. We'll have talking points for people. Right. So if they want to sign up for public comment and they're a little bit lost about navigating the whole process. We'll have instructions and talking points up for um, our listeners by the end of the weekend. Outstanding. C H U M A S H Shumash Heritage dot O R G is the website uh, to uh, understand better the process that's going on here and the reasons for it. Absolutely outstanding. What a thrill to talk to you today. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, it is Violet Sage Walker. She is the chairperson of the Northern Shumash Tribal Council and the official nominator of the Shumash Heritage National Marine Sanctuary. Uh, thank you so much for taking time to uh, share this incredible story. Uh, one of the best good news stories on the American Shoreline today. Thank you very much, Violet. Thanks. Thanks, both of you. Beaches and sand to build the hotels. My father's in line with you. Birds on the lawn, sunlight at dawn. Singing Mama now, no blues. Then a boy, take one, brother.